This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be a solo cast, no guests, just me sharing my point of view on the topic of incumbents versus challenges in e-commerce marketplaces and platforms. This is a little more esoteric than what we might usually talk about on this podcast, but I think I've observed a few trends in the space that I wanted to share and some ways of thinking about all of the changes going on in our industry and how to decide which wagon to hitch your horse to or which horse do you hitch your wagon to. So let's get into the show. All right, so I'm going to jump into this conversation around incumbents versus challenges in e-commerce platforms. So Shopify has a, a brand that revolves around this concept of arming the rebels, right? Arm the rebels and claiming that there's a battle of good and evil raging in the world of retail. And without naming names here, of course, Shopify doesn't want to point out the name of, you know, arming the rebels, who are they rebelling against? Well, it's Amazon and, and Walmart at the end of the day. Those are the incumbents. Those are the villains. And also, more broadly speaking, the status quo of doing things, the status quo of selling items online or brick and mortar, the status quo of marketing, the status quo of e-commerce shopping engines, right? So arm the rebels, let's fight together. And the retail industry goes wild every time Shopify appears to confront Amazon's flywheel. I remember in 2020, just around this time last year, Shopify launched this app called Shop, which was at the end of the day, a upgrade to their parcel tracking system. But at the time when it was rolled out, it was sort of made out to be a bit more than that. And what pundits rushed to presume was that shop was going to become this front-end marketplace of all of the Shopify merchants and websites and that Shopify was going to create a marketplace that would take on Amazon and help with discovery of these Shopify stores. Sadly, that was not what it turned out to be. And it was considered overall to be fairly underwhelming and certainly not the marketplace antidote that a lot of people hoped that Shopify would launch. So that's Shopify arming the rebels and playing a different game to Amazon. It's not a marketplace. It's a website, an e-commerce website platform. But what about when the noble good guy, the upstart, starts to gain so much power that they become the bully at the end of the day? And that's a story that's been unfolding with a podcast that I've been listening to, which I'd be very surprised and delighted, by the way, if anyone listening to this podcast also listens to one called Bootstrapped Web. 
and there's two hosts. Uh, one of them is Jordan Gal, who is the the co-founder of a new app called Rally, and the the founder of a now very different company called Cart Hook. And what Cart Hook, Jordan's previous company did, it was a checkout application for Shopify's platform. So if you're a Shopify seller, you could, instead of using Shopify's native payment processor, you could use Cart Hook. And there were all kinds of different features available within that application to facilitate things like upsells. So after a, and I know this backstory, not because I've personally spoken with Jordan, but I've been following his company's journey on the podcast for several years and follow him on Twitter. So I'm reading between the lines of what's been shared on the podcast and on Twitter here. But basically, Carthook was not allowed onto Shopify's native platform for a long time for various reasons related to limitations on payment processing capabilities. And Shopify eventually did actually reverse course on that and allow Carthook to be on the Shopify app marketplace this was a huge, huge deal for Carthook. They were going to be finally sort of recognized by Shopify and available for a lot of merchants to integrate with immediately through through that platform. So this was a big deal. Ultimately, within a few months or certainly less than a year, Shopify stopped allowing Carthook to get new customers. And I'm not sure exactly what happened here, but this was certainly a Shopify essentially in practice shutting down Carthook by not allowing it to get any more customers onto its platform and essentially sort of ended that company, if not their core product. So such a bad action, the company's useless and Jordan in parallel launched a new startup called Rally which isn't tied to a to Shopify or any other platform. It's part of a headless e-commerce ecosystem play. So it does a, a similar thing in terms of a checkout experience for e-commerce merchants, but it's not tied to a platform. It's something that can be integrated to different e-commerce shopping engines like WooCommerce and Magento, presumably. So <laughs> Jordan, having been burned by Shopify. He hitched his wagon to the Shopify horse exclusively and found that didn't work out so well at the end of the day. And so his new startup has a new message around disintermediation. He wants to help other merchants to adopt this headless commerce approach where you can choose best-in-class tools that can be connected together rather than using a single platform, which ultimately can be very inflexible. Headless commerce is being embraced by a lot of merchants seeking more choice. Certainly not for everyone. I'm not going to be the one debating headless versus not. But the point here is Shopify, the armor of rebels, is being challenged by this headless e-commerce movement and people like Jordan who are building new tools and solutions outside of that ecosystem so that merchants can be independent and have more choice. So Shopify, the challenger, is being disintermediated by this new movement. So I paint this picture to illustrate a story about rebels, challenges, 
incumbents and disintermediation. So Amazon, once upon a time, was the rebel. They were challenging Walmart, of course. Walmart was the incumbent, a very huge and powerful one, the largest private employer, Walmart store within, I forget the exact stat here, but within 10 miles of 90% of the US population or something like that, huge reach that Walmart has on the American continent. And so Amazon came along and challenged Walmart and all the other retailers, first very slowly in categories that didn't drive a lot of concern for department stores and major retailers. Amazon was first in books and then was still small enough to actually be the web retail partner for Target. Before Target had its own e-com platform, they actually used Amazon's technology. And eventually Target realized that Amazon for them was a wolf in sheep's clothing and started to build their own platform. That's how Amazon really got its start. Small categories, partnering with retailers, offering to carry their merchandise online before anyone really realized what was going on. And so that's why in recent years, in an ultimate twist of irony, merchants have been rooting for Walmart to disintermediate Amazon. So Walmart, come on, build us a platform that we can use. Build us an ad tech platform that's viable against Amazon. Build us a fulfillment capability that rivals Amazon FBA. Please, that's the message coming from merchants wanting Amazon to have a bit more balance in the competitive landscape. So this past month in September 21, Walmart has started to reveal its platform merger, which is where it's integrating walmart.com with its in-store pickup program and making two very different departments of Walmart come together so that the online experience is seamless for a shopper and this whole sort of division between what's walmart.com inventory and what's in-store inventory, which was so unclear to shoppers, actually making that a a streamlined experience. And so the shopping experience is better. We're seeing changes to walmart.com that are moving it forward and including a DSP advertising platform, which was launched earlier in the year. Is it enough? Is it too late? I'm not sure if Walmart.com will be the single entity to actually challenge Amazon in a meaningful way. But what you can bet that we see from history, that we see from Amazon challenging Walmart, that we see from the movement of headless e-commerce challenging Shopify, is that there will be a challenger to Amazon, even if that challenger ultimately is within Amazon. Amazon has its own very serious big issues to deal with in the coming years. There are regulatory concerns about Amazon. There is a perception concern that Amazon has around being a a flea market. (laughs) Just looking at conversations people are having on Twitter about the quality of products that they're purchasing from Amazon and people ending up with junk. And that's, you know, Amazon has a really difficult path ahead of itself to figure out what's junk and what is a legitimate challenger brand and playing whack-a-mole in a way with factory direct 
sellers who don't play by the rules and Amazon might kick them out and then they pop up elsewhere and there's, you know, lots of different ways of looking at how incentivized is Amazon to actually get those sellers off. Not a topic for here, but Amazon has these challenges internally which could, you know, lead in some parts of it, the company, just lead it to disrupt itself. So whether that comes from just an external threat to Amazon or it's a conflation of a number of internal challenges that Amazon has itself, Amazon is not necessarily going to be the top dog forever like we've seen. So the challenges are here and they may be, as we've seen, the previous incumbents. They could come in the form of very powerful offline retailers, Target, doing very well, Kroger, absolutely investing in new age e-commerce capabilities. Walmart has been investing for a long time in e-commerce capabilities. And these challenges could also be new retail, Instacart. Instacart's ad platform is growing its feature set far at this stage faster than Amazon. GoPuff is acquiring brick and mortar retail chains while growing its digital front end, which is real belt and britches kind of approach. And there are niche marketplaces coming to life, leveraging technology solutions like Miracle and Marketplacer. So what we're seeing innovation coming from all fronts, we're seeing a challenge to Amazon's business model from within and through regulation. And it's not my point to say that you should abandon Amazon. I don't think that that's the right call to make. Amazon's still very powerful. It's still where a lot of transactions occur. There's still a very compelling ROI for most brands. But what I am calling out is disintermediation and challenging players coming up to meet Amazon and to exploit some of the chinks that Amazon has in its armor. Okay, so what does all this mean to you? I've told a couple of stories here, a long history of online retail condensed into pretty short summary. Here is what you can take away here. First of all, keeping your finger on the pulse. So the fact that you're listening to this podcast is to me a great sign. You're interested in what's going on, what the changes that these platforms and companies are making give you an early warning system or an early read on what's coming next, looking at what type of technology is Kroger rolling out, what kind of investments are these retailers and platforms making, putting all of these news items into context to think about what does this mean for the future of my category online and offline. So you're listening to this podcast, that is a very good sign that you're taking this seriously and using sort of those cues all around you to figure out who are the challenges, where are the chinks in the armor, where might we want to hedge our bets a little bit with these platforms. So a couple of other resources I'll share with you on this show, there's two episodes that I really recommend in terms of frameworks for staying up to date with changes in our industry and staying at the cutting edge. The first one is called Keeping Your Amazon Team at the Cutting Edge. That was episode 155 
with Michael Erickson from Ad Badger. And the second one was a little bit more recent, the state of retail conferences and staying current in e-commerce, episode 207 with Aaron Conant from BWG. So I'll link to those in the show notes here if you want to go back and replay them. Those are great frameworks for you know, identifying ways to keep you and your team up to date with all of the constant changes going on here. All right, another takeaway here in terms of what this means for you. How do you know you're investing the right amount in each channel, in each platform? You don't want to be under-indexing on channels where they're important, like Amazon. Amazon, 50% of e-commerce transactions happen on Amazon in the US. So do you want to, you know, if your online sales are a fraction of that, that might give you an indication that you might be under-indexing on Amazon a little bit and you might want to be boosting that. You might also be over-indexing on Amazon. And this is the sort of risky scenario that I've been sharing in this episode when you are overly dependent on a channel or a platform in this way could be a dangerous situation. So there's been very little research into what does that index look like, how much of your sales, both your online-only sales and your overall sales, be how much should be on Amazon versus other channels. And so I'm pleased to give a little preview at Bobsled. We've actually embarked on a study into this question of how big should your Amazon channel be. I'm working with some very smart people at Bobsled to come up with a framework on this, including what sort of factors actually drive maturity with an Amazon channel because the more mature you are in your thinking and execution around Amazon, the hypothesis that we have is if you're really mature in that strategy and execution, you're going to be close to this ideal Amazon index number. So we're setting about to prove or disprove that hypothesis right now. And if you'd like to to follow along with that research and learn about our findings and conclusions as soon as we make them available, I'll link up to a landing page that we have on our site to join us to discuss the findings of that research, which should be coming out in the first week of December 2021. So that's very exciting. I think that's going to be a very actionable, quantifiable tool for you to use with your executive team and your wider team to help identify where are you on that maturity curve and are we over-indexing or under-indexing on Amazon? Right, so I'll link up to those in the show notes. That's where I'll leave it for today. Wanted to share my thoughts on this subject, share a couple of stories and some takeaway points. Hope you liked it. If you did, I'd love it if you left a review for the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. If there's a feature that where you can leave a rating or review. I would absolutely love it. Thanks for listening. And I hope to catch you next week as well. 